Welcome to Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation. In this program, Marty discusses waterfowl and upland bird hunting, as well as the clay target shooting sports, with some of the top industry leaders and shooting pros from around the world. If you're just starting out or you've been hunting and shooting for years, we'll have wing and clay target news and information that you can use. Now, here is your host, Marty Fisher. And welcome to another, what I know is going to be an informative and exciting episode of Wing and Clay Nation Radio. I have got a remarkable guest that's going to be joining me here in just a little bit, a uh, gentleman by the name of Philip Crow. Philip Crow is uh, he's a wildlife artist, but I can promise you Philip Crow is a lot more than just a wildlife artist. Make no mistake about that. Um, when we get into this thing, you know, Philip's done a lot of work over the years, and uh, and just for Ducks Unlimited alone, for instance, his wildlife art has raised more than $330 million for that organization. So, um, But not only is this guy a, a, a remarkable artist, he is also an avid, avid hunter, and a very good one, and uh, at the same time, he's, he's quite a conservationist. So uh, we're going to have a lot of great stories coming up uh, that uh, Philip and I have been talking about earlier today, and uh, I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Uh, before we get cranked up with our Wing and Clay news, uh, let me remind everybody, first segment of Wing and Clay Nation, as always, is brought to you by my good friends over at the Crushable Vault. You know, for most of my adult life, I was a traveling hunter, still am. And for years, every time I'd put my guns in my truck, I was scared to death that some petty thief was going to break in and get their hands on them and my great guns were going to be gone. Well, fortunately, I discovered the Crushable Vaults, a product that really put my mind at ease from the thought of having my gun stolen. Crushable Vault is a product that looks like a piece of luggage. Make no mistake, though, it's a lot more than that. It's it's a it's a product that's made here in the states. Uh, they they have patents on their system. Uh, it's a cable locking system that will totally secure your firearms. I mean, you put those these cables and they're not even seen. They're unseen. You wrap those around your case, cinch it to a uh, locking point in the back of your truck or your or your SUV, and your guns are going nowhere. Now you can access them in less than thirty seconds yourself. But that petty thief can't. Uh, products are 100% American-made. They come in 18-ounce wax cotton duck or a ballistic nylon material. So check them out. Go to crushablevault.com. Take a look around. I think you'll find something there you like. If you do, uh, they've got a little promo box at checkout. Type my name in it, Marty, in the promo box, and you'll get an instant 10% off of your purchase. Crushablevault.com. Give them a look, and I promise you, you'll like it. All right, what's going on? Wing and Clay News. Boy, there's a, uh, there's a good bit going on, actually. Um, one thing that's really important, and it's, uh, we do this every year in this country, and it's getting more and more and more important as, uh, as the years go on and, and all the anti-gun and anti-hunting and anti-everything is, is flashing around out there on the media. But this weekend... September 28th is National Hunting and Fishing Day. Uh, that's something that, uh, you know, the president, President Trump, um, as all presidents have, uh, you know, have uh, have continued to name a National Hunting Fishing Day. 
September 28th is that day here, um, this particular month. Now, got a couple of guys that uh, are pretty well recognized not guys that uh, are the honorary chair people. Uh, this year, Chris Jansen, who was actually the, the youngest guy ever inducted into the uh, Opryland Hall of Fame, and um, an old boy that went to college where I did, uh, Luke Bryan, uh, went to Georgia Southern University, graduated from there, and uh, went to actually went to college with my stepson, who was playing football there at the time. But uh, Chris and Luke are the uh, are the honorable, honorable chair people uh, this uh, this particular year. Now there are events going on all over the country. Every state, uh, lots of places. Bass Pro has events. Cabela's has events. You know, various places like that. Best way to find out, check them out. NHF, like National Hunting Fishing, nhfday.org. If you go there and click on events, boy, I mean, every state pops up plus some other things, and uh, you can click on that and find something to do. I'll tell you what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be taking my grandson to Bass Pro to get his hunter safety certification. He um, uh, He's in the class on... Uh, uh, this weekend, he's nine years old. He's excited, and I have no doubt that he is going to be next in line to have his hunter education certificate, and I'm going to be very, very proud of him. Uh, in the clay target world, some things going on. Actually, uh, this week, the Mini World and the World Skeet Championships are headed, um, heading the the, uh, the docket, if you will, for clays. Uh, September 25th to October the 4th, out at the National Gun Club in San Antonio. Uh, that's going to be a huge event, um, and we'll have some some information about that. Uh, <clears throat> you know, when when the uh, when the time comes, when we get some winners and and things of that nature, we'll let everybody know. Um, also, um, coming up here in the near future, uh, the uh, Ducks Unlimited is having their first ever Eastern Continental shoot at uh, uh, Johnny Morris's place uh, over in Branson, Missouri. Uh, you know, at the uh, at the Sporting Clays facility that they built over there. That's October 10th through the 13th. You can go to du.org and get information on that. The Sporting Clays, uh, a couple of state shoots going on right now. Tennessee State is underway at, uh, at the Cross Creek Clays up in Palmyra, Tennessee. Really, really a nice place. And the Colorado State is ongoing this weekend also at Longmeadow Game Resort and Event Center. Uh, the next big shoot, big regional shoot, is going to be the Southeast Regional uh, up at my good buddy uh, Rick Hemingway's place, Backwoods Quail Club up in Georgetown, South Carolina. So, you know, lots of things going on there. And, um, you know, all of those events are going to be well attended, and uh, we'll have some reports on uh, on how those things went. One other thing that I did want to do, um, the um, former National Sporting Clays Association Director, Brett Moyes, uh, has actually uh, resigned his position. Uh, this took place a few weeks ago, but uh, you know I didn't want to say much about it until he got firmly in place. He is now uh, the owner-operator of uh, my old gun club, where I got my start, the Cherokee Rose, uh, south of Atlanta in Griffin, Georgia. Wish Brett the very, very best. Uh, that's a great market there, and I know he'll do very, very, very well. So that's about it, folks. That's, um, that's a mouthful. You have a lot going on. But I, um, I don't want to take any more of Philip Crow's time. I want to bring this gentleman on board. Uh, Philip uh, is a is a, a guy that I I met back in the 1980s. 
Uh, he is a wonderful, wonderful gentleman and, and uh, certainly a, a guy that has a great respect for the outdoors and for the uh, for the wildlife resource that we all do so much to protect. Uh, Phillips from just outside of Nashville, you know, I think around Franklin, Tennessee. But, Philip, are you online, buddy? I'm, we're ready to get going here. Hey, Marty, I'm with you. All right, my friend. Listen, it is uh, it is so great to have you on here. I I gave you a little bit of an introduction there a little while ago, and and uh, and and talked about the the hundreds of millions of dollars that uh, that that Ducks Unlimited has has benefited from with your artwork, and and it's just so much more than that. And and we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But I I really want to I really want to go back to to day one because day day one is. Is important, you know. You and I talked about this a little bit, and, and day one in your life was not a whole lot different from a lot of people. You know, grandfather that hunted, father that hunted. Why don't Why don't you take us back a little bit and, and tell us how you got got that love of hunting? Well, Marty, it's a great story for me. Uh, it it kind of molded my life. My grandfather hunted quail in southern Illinois during the Depression. And there was no work, there was no money, and so what my grandfather did, he had a good friend named Pee Wee, and they had a couple of bird dogs, Jake and Muggins, and I have an old black and white photograph of those bird dogs, that's really kind of cool. And they hunted quail in southern Illinois, and there was lots and lots of small farms in southern Illinois, and lots of quail. Mm -hmm. And back in those days, shells cost a nickel. And they could take a clean-dressed bird to St. Louis, which was 50 miles by train, and they would they would shoot quail all week, and they would put those quail, clean those quail, and put them in a spring and keep them fresh. And they would hop, they would hop the the freight when the train came from St. Louis. I mean, into St. Louis from Chicago, and it made that right-hand turn. They hopped the freight just like you would imagine back in the old days. They didn't have any money. And they would go into the city and sell their quail. Now, they'd get a quarter apiece for a clean quail for those restaurants. And that was a lot of money in those days. So Pee Wee and my grandfather, they sold their quail, and they bought a ticket back on, on, the, on the train so they'd get back to Mount Vernon. And when they got to Mount Vernon, my grandfather took that money, took care of his family, and bought land. And... He ended up being one of the largest tree nurseries in the state of Illinois, just from shooting quail. Now, my father came behind him and hunted quail with him. And when I turned old enough to hunt, I followed my father and my grandfather. So I came about it pretty honestly. And we chased those bird dogs forever and ever, especially when the quail was great. And that kind of molded my love for the outdoors and I was not an artist I, I I didn't have any of that in me I don't think at the time but I cared about the outdoors and I cared about quail hunting and I cared about the dogs and that's kind of how it pushed me in the direction that I ended up in well it's it's unique uh, you know you're if you say you know you, you weren't really an artist that wasn't really something that that entered your mind but somehow, you know, 
spend a little bit of time with your mom, you know, in the, in the evenings, you know, I guess she, she stimulated something in you or, or, or found something in you and, and, uh, you and hers would, would stay up <laughs> kind of painting at night. I mean, tell me a little bit about that because that, that's a unique way to get started. Well, Marty, I hate to say this. I mean, I thought I was a baseball player and I was a pretty good baseball player. <laughs> And I thought, boy, old Philip Cross going to play baseball. But that didn't turn out very well because I got hurt. But that's neither here nor there. And and my mother, I would paint at night with my mother because she liked it. And she told me as a child that I used to I used to draw and I used to sketch. And, of course, I don't have any reflection of that. But we would paint and talk, and it was just a wonderful way to be a part of her and... It was just something that was truly enjoyable. We didn't paint wildlife. We just painted. Mm-hmm. And we had a great time. And it was a wonderful experience. And that energy and that, what she gave me, there was some solitude and some fun and some creativity that came out of that that I think my mother installed in me a little bit. And and it kind of pushed me in the right direction. I thought, well, boy, you know, I think I'm just going to go off to art school since my baseball career was, so to speak, over. And and that's what I did. I went to uh, Ringling School of Art and mm-hmm. graduated from Ringling. And that's kind of how my art career started. I didn't really paint much. I was more of a graphic designer. I first started with Ted Turner in Atlanta. I did design billboards for Coca-Cola and for Sprite and worked for Ted for about two years and came to Nashville, did my advertising thing, Opened my own studio, uh, had a great career there, made plenty of money, and life was great. But I started falling in love with hunting because I had a little more time to go hunting. Mm-hmm. And with Labradors and dogs, it just it all just kind of came on me at once. And, and it was a great, a great thing to happen to me. Well, without question, and of course, you you know, you were you were living around Nashville, and and uh, you know, I've spent enough time in Nashville to know that the that the uh, that the duck hunting there is you know is not the greatest in the world. You've got to travel a little bit, and you can head west and find some pretty good spots to do that. And uh, uh, you know, I know I'm, I've spent a bunch of time in in um, in eastern and southeastern Arkansas, and I think you spent some time there too. I think you had a kind of a had a kind of a favorite honey hole over there around Augusta. Well, that's, you know, that's up in kind of almost not really northeast, northeast, but not too far from northeast. Uh, you know, tell me about your spot. I mean, that's a, you know, because well, that's, that's got to be a good story because, you know, if you're you're sleeping in the truck, I want to hear about that. Well, when I get through on Friday from my advertising work, which is crazy, it was driving me crazy. It was great, but it was driving me crazy out of damn time to myself so what i do is i jump in my little blazer and i had a little lab it was a pretty nice dog and he and i would head to the black swamp which is in arkansas up up on the other side of the y i mean the cache and we'd spend the night at the ramp and there really wasn't a ramp it was just kind of a a cut in the timber and you drove down there and you put your boat in Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. And we would go on Friday. We'd get there Friday night, spend the night. We'd be the first ones in the river in the morning. I think I was one of the first few people to ever run a Q-beam down the water. I mean, <laughs> down the Cache River. And I learned to duck hunt in the Cache and the Black Swamp because it's just part of it. And that 
that really gave me a foundation about uh, the outdoors and about what ducks do and about waterfowl. And I spent, oh, I don't know, five or six years in there learning to duck call, learning to pick up ducks, learning about the river patterns, learning about high water, low water, learning about what ducks like and what ducks don't like. And I took that little boat of mine and traveled up and down the river all the way through private ground down into potlatch timber. Mm-hmm. And when the river would get out, it'd get out into those fields. And me and my dog would hunt the edge of those fields where those mallards would come in. I mean, it was just an education for me. And it was something that I truly loved. And it kind of was the foundation for me to to just not only learn about ducks, but to learn about their habits and the habitat and how important it was to have habitat. And that was back when they were trying to save the cash. Mm-hmm. And all of that kind of felt good, Marty, to me. I mean, I think saving and the conservation feeling and all that kind of came to me because I kind of thought I had the whole world by myself out there. And there was times I was in the cash that that I was really the only guy in there, you know, because, I mean, I was there during the week, too, from sure. time to time, and how I had that, that opportunity. But most of the time, it was a weekend thing, and then after I hunted Sunday morning, I loaded up me and the dog and, and the ducks, and off we'd head back to Nashville, and I'd go back to work. So Well, my, yeah, and back, to, and back to work was never fun. Make, make, make no mistake about that, because <laughs> because you, you almost had to get ready to turn around and come back again. Hey, Philip, we're... We're up on a break here real quick. Let me um, let, let me take that break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about how you got launched into actually being a wildlife artist as it you know, ties into your hunting and shooting and all of those types of things. Folks, stay tuned. Philip Crow and I will be back right after these messages. <laughs> The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. 
the Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation. If you have a question or comment about the show, we're here via email, wingandclayradio at gmail.com. That's wingandclayradio at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to this week's show. And welcome back. I uh, I am having a blast hearing, hearing from my good buddy, Philip Crow, and some of the stories about how he got started. You know, I remember distinctly I did the same thing you know you sleep in the tree you put everything you need in the truck and and, <laughs> and you go and you just you know yeah. next thing you know you're you know you're sleeping at the boat ramp and all of that but you don't want to be late so that's a that's a critical critical thing but hey before I get back to Philip and we, and we continue our talk uh you know hopefully uh you listening or, or social media type folks I know I've had to turn into one at my elderly age and, uh, you know, we've got some, some great social media sites for the show. Uh, the website is uh, wingandclayradio.com. Uh, on Facebook, uh, that's a pretty active site, uh, facebook.com slash wingandclayradio. On Twitter, it's twitter.com slash wingclaynation. And on Instagram, it's instagram.com slash wingandclayradio. So all of those sites have got... Um, uh, got some good participation, got some great photos, things of that nature, stories, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, before I get back to Philip, real quick, this segment of the show is going to be brought to you by my good friends at Negrini Cases. You know, when you're speaking of gun cases, you know, hunting season's on us. I mean, I'm, I'm actually missing a dove hunt right now to to, uh, to be talking to you fine folks. My, uh, my hunting club's having one of these afternoon hunts. I don't know how good it's going to be. It's about 99 degrees here at my house, but uh, uh, we've got some birds. But, you know, most of us have a gun case that is our favorite to put our bird gun or clay gun in. But it's not really a case for heavy travel like I like I do. And, and a, lot, a lot of folks do a lot of travel, throwing, you know, the cases get thrown around, bounced around, on and off of airplanes, all of that kind of stuff. Well, that's where the greeny cases really shine. You know, for more than 35 years, they've been building the lightest and strongest TSA-approved and international airline-approved gun cases on the market. They look great. They have super double wall protection, and they're really, really lightweight to boot. So check out Negrini Cases on the web, negrinicases.com. If you like something there, uh, find something you can spend a couple hundred dollars on. They've got a little promo box. You put my name in it, Marty, and they will ship you a Negrini waterproof shot shell case that I promise you is really nice, and they'll pay for the shipping. So go over and check them out, negrinicases.com. Now, let me get back to Philip because... You know, we're talking a little bit about, uh, uh, like I say, you know, sleeping in the truck and getting into hunting and really learning to hunt. You know, that's a that's a fun part about uh, uh, about doing it by yourself sometimes because you're going to succeed or fail on your own. I mean, they, you don't have anybody that you can elbow if they make a wrong call or something like that. You know, and you learn a lot because you tend to be a lot more patient. Uh, you know, when you're not having to depend on somebody else, and. Um, <clears throat> 
you know, you, you talked about your dog bear, and I, I can't I can't get beyond our initial conversation without at least talking about bear a little bit. You know, I was a I was a, a field trial guy. I had a I had a chocolate dog that I spent a whole bunch of money on trying to make him a great dog, like so many do. But uh, but Bear turned out to be a great dog. Philip, talk a little bit about him, and then uh, then we'll go talk about something else. But but Bear was a really really nice lab. Well, I, I appreciate that, and I think he was nationally recognized because of his abilities, because of the field trials that we won, the double headers he won, uh, the nationals and national amateurs that we ran in. Uh, I, I got him as a six and a half week old puppy. And I just wanted a hunting dog. And he turned out to be much, much more than that. He could find him anywhere. He loved it. It was his life. And I, I don't think I ever went anywhere he didn't go. He slept under my feet when I painted. He went hunting when I, he got in the car. It, he just lived with me till he was 10 and a half years old. We had more fun on the road, met more nice people. And I learned and enjoyed the field trial game, which is, is a total different game than, than I was ever used to or exposed to because my life was all about bird dogs. Mm-hmm. And a Labrador was a total different deal for me. And I started hunting that dog when he was six months old. And he did everything I ever wanted to do and much, much more. He was a great, great hunting dog. He was just happened to be a, and I will say this without any without any thought, he was a great field trial dog, and I think all the people who ran against him and with him and know him knew that he was all of that. But most of that was all about him. He did mm-hmm. that really by himself. I, I just kind of was there to tell him what to do. <laughs> uh, so we had a great, great time, and I spent, a lot of years traveling up and down the road, and it, and it turned into kind of like duck hunting. You'd leave on Thursday, and you'd train all week, and then you'd field trial on the weekend, you'd race back to town to work. And that got kind of crazy for me because my advertising business was really, really good, and I was splitting my time up between running field trials and working, and I started painting because I got a, This is a strange kind of story. I got a call from a publisher who wanted to know if I could paint ducks. And I said, anybody can paint ducks. <laughs> I mean, I didn't think that was hard. You know what I'm saying? I'm in this mm-hmm. advertising business, and I'm in a whole other world, and I've spent my life outside, and I know what these ducks look like. And I'm thinking, I can paint a duck. So anyway, the fun part was I did a painting, and they pulled some prints, and I think the addition was like 300, okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm going, well, that's a, I had to sign my name 300 times, and I said, this is crazy. And they sold them out immediately, and I'm going, well, that's kind of strange. And then I got a phone call that said, would you do another one? And I said, yeah. I said, you know, I mean, they're kind of fun, and I enjoy that, and I did another one. And those sold out, and I'm going, there may be something to this that I don't know. Because I really wasn't involved in the outdoor world or the outdoor painting world. And so I kind of got to a point in about 1985 where I was selling a lot of paintings and doing prints. And I said to my wife, it was funny, I said, Valerie, I said, 
who is an absolute sweetheart, said, <laughs> when the money gets as good as it is in the advertising business, and I can sell my business and give myself a little room, a little room to breathe, and I had enough to make it easy for two years. So I quit, and I started painting, and I never looked back. And I, it really started in 85 with the blessing of my sweet wife. And I finished a painting three days ago. So mm-hmm. I've been doing it for a long, long time. And I, I, I can't tell you, Marty, how many doors and who I've painted for, who I've been able to be around. Uh, just all over the world, I've been able to go and do because of because of wildlife art, I've been able to raise millions of dollars with other artists for conservation. Uh, I don't think there's a conservation group out there that I haven't been a part of or mm-hmm. are a member of. I just think that this environment is so fragile that it's really, really important to try to give back more than you take. It's kind of like people say, you know, leave it like you found it. Well, my my kind of my motto is to leave it better mm-hmm. than I found it, and and that's kind of been me. And uh, people have been so kind and so generous and so wonderful. They, I mean, I've been invited everywhere there is to go, not just to paint, but because of of the things that I do and the things that I love. And mm-hmm. I think they understand that. And there's one thing about wildlife people or people who love the outdoors is that. They can tell in about 30 seconds if you're the real deal. Oh, yeah. If you're real, they'll I mean, know it. If you're if not you, real, believe me, you know, and they'll let everybody know up. you're not real. <laughs> that's so, exactly yeah. right. And, but, and that's but, the fun but, part. Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about that for a second, though. You got into it full time. And in 1989, I think it was, you, you had, had an opportunity to do the Arkansas State Waterfowl Stamp. And, uh, you know, and I, and I love the name because we're going to talk about this place here in a little bit, Wing Mead Mallards. And, boy, what a, what a <laughs> remarkable place that is. But, but talk about that because you've done, you've done more than 60 state waterfowl and turkey stamps and all of that stuff all over the country. I mean, that, that's, that's quite a record. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people that have, that have done the stamp programs. And I kind of got started in the stamp program in Tennessee, and then I got a call from from a gentleman in Arkansas named Larry Grisham, who ran Grisham's Ark, who really helped. He was kind of a backer to help stop them from tearing up the cash, from channelizing it. And that duck stamp program kind of started. And they called me when it was time to paint Mallards because they knew that I loved Mallards and that I painted Mallards. And that I knew wing meat. And at that time, they were painting specific places on the Grand Prairie that were notable waterfowl areas. Uh-huh. And I got picked to paint or invited to paint the mallards at wing meat. And, and Frank Lyon took me in as a brother, so to speak. And I, and I hunted at wing meat for about 15, 16 years. It was amazing and remarkable. But well, that is that is that, for, for folks who don't. Period, know, I got, that's an that's an iconic place now. 
I mean, wind well, is, is is the real deal. Well, I mean, when you look back at the history of wing mead, you know, Edgar Monsanto Queenie, who wrote the book Prairie Wings, who did Prairie Wings, who, who came down there and started wing mead, you know, he, he formed Peck, Peckerwood Lake was a big 6,000-acre, just flooded timber. He flooded it. Mm-hmm. Built a dam and a dike, and that ended up they leaving the water on there too long, kill all the trees that made that seven thousand acre lake, or six thousand acre, whatever it is, give or take. And Wing Mead became the Mallard capital of the world down in there, besides Claypools. And Claypools was famous because it was very famous. Was made by the new the people in the news, and I think in nineteen fifty two, mm-hmm. and. That was a stamp print that I found went up to Claypools and took those photographs, hunted at Claypools, and then I also did a stamp, a stamp print painting for Arkansas from Claypools. I did Rice and Rice, which is, if you're on that highway into Stuttgart, you, if you don't see Rice and Rice, you got your eyes closed. <laughs> and sure. then another famous place, which was the famous Winchester place, which is Greenbrier, Mm-hmm. which was originally owned by John Olin, who owned King Buck. And King Buck is on the stamp, the only Labrador ever on the history of a federal duck stamp. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much heritage for waterfowl hunting in Arkansas that I have been so, so fortunate and lucky to be able to be a part of all of those places and and hunt and paint and just meet wonderful good people who care about the outdoors, who care about the environment, who care about the trees, who care about just care about the land and continuing to keep the land. People like Bobby Martin, people like the Wilsons, people like Whit Stevens. I mean, those people care about more than killing a duck. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all kill a lot of ducks. We all kill our limit ducks. And in the days when we all started, it was all about a limit. But as time goes on and as we mature as people, we realize that it's not the limit. It's the guy you stood beside in the blind or in the pit or in the timber. That guy is the guy who is part of your life and part of your life story. And I've been so blessed to be able to hunt with some amazing people, just peep good people, mm-hmm. and who ha- who hunt for the right reasons. It's not as like I say. I go back, and I, and I know it sounds like a broken record, but it's not about killing. I mean, all of us can kill. It's about the enjoyment, taking care of the game, taking care of the environment, showing people how to hunt, teaching people how to blow a duck call teaching people how to put decoys out, working with them and working with kids and, and, and taking these kids on these youth hunts. And it, it, it's just, it's just been a remarkable fun time for me. And my art has opened those doors and those doors. I've tried to be a good steward of the environment and of the outdoors all my, all my time in the outdoors. So I don't think there's many people that can look back at, at me and say that I didn't do my part. And I'm proud of that. And I think my my grandfather would be so proud of me 
and I know my father was, and I never killed a single duck with either one of them. But I have their old Model 12s. I have all of their old guns, their A5s. I still have them today, and I look at them with just fond memories. I, I don't shoot them. I won't shoot them. But it, it's just tre- little treasures that mean things to me over all this time. Well, and those those things do matter. And, you know, when you're, <clears throat> Philip, when you're talking about the, it's not the limit, you know what? Think about this. All of the artwork that you have done, all those beautiful memories that you have captured, not anything in any of those about a limit. It's all about the experience and that and what is in your mind. You know, what's in your mind is not a bunch of dead ducks hanging on a stick. What's in your mind is the beauty of the place. And that's that's what you're able to capture. You capture the essence of the hunt, not the result of the hunt. And I, I'm, I'm all for you, buddy. Well, Marty, that's great. It, and I think I, I go back to something a guy told me years and years ago. He said, Philip, he said, you are not, never going to be able to paint people's dreams. And I, and, and I kind of thought about that a minute. And, you know, what you perceive and what I perceive are two different things. You see a photograph differently than I see it. Mm-hmm. So it has been my intent over all these years to get, because of all the commission work that I've done, is that I want my friend or client or whatever to be involved. And the way I get you involved is I let you be a part of the whole program. So historically, I'll go to, uh, let's just take Greenbrier for it. They wanted to paint all their favorite duck holes. So. Mm -hmm. I went over there and I photographed all the favorite duck holes in the fall when the birds are right and when the, the colors were right. And and uh, let's take a hole that they love to hunt. It's called Hot Dam, which is a great big hole. And I went in there and I photographed that hole and photographed that hole. And then I did the drawing. I do a complete drawing where there's no question about what I want, including the birds, the background, the water, the whole nine yards. Then I let them look at that, and I let them, they go, you know, I love it with more birds or less birds, or I like the birds coming on this wind or that wind. And so they become a part of the painting. Yeah, once they see that drawing, they go, oh, man, I love that, and then I go to paint. And the great thing about this is that I would photograph as I go along, send photographs back in the day when you had to send, you know, 35 millimeter slides. Uh-huh. It was a different story. Sure. Now you uh-huh. email them in five seconds. But that way we would build a painting so that at the end, the end result was that they knew exactly what they wanted. And well, they and had that's, things yeah, and that's, a hand in it and it became important to them. And I did sure. paint their memories. Didn't paint their dreams, but I painted their memories. That well, and the memory, the memory is, is what's real. Hey, Philip, we're up on our last break. We're going to take that real quick. When we come back, we're going to talk. We're going to talk a little bit about some stuff that you're doing with uh, with the kids and, and uh, things along those lines. We'll talk a little bit too about some of the some of the known celebrity type guys you've hunted with. You've got some pretty good names floating around out there. When you, and folks need to understand, they're just regular guys too. Hey. Guys, stay tuned. Philip Crow and I will be right back after these messages. 
Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation. If you have a question or comment about the show, we're here via email. Wing and Clay Radio at gmail.com. That's Wing and Clay Radio at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to this week's show. And welcome back. I am having a great conversation with Philip Crow, and boy, I'll tell you what great stories this gentleman has, and, and we're going to hear a, a few more here in just a moment. But before we get to that, uh, this last segment of the show is brought to you by my good friends at Electronic Shooters Protection. That's ESP. Uh, whether you're a new shooter, a seasoned hunter, or a clay target fanatic, really doesn't matter. Do what I do. Protect your hearing with ESP. Electronic shooters protection. You know, these digital custom earplugs were designed to do a number of things. You can carry on a normal conversation. You can increase the frequency and hear birds and animals while hunting that you honestly could never hear before. And anything over 90 decibels, it just mutes it down to protect your hearing. So, you know, I've been using these products for more than 20 years, and I encourage you to give them a look because I'm telling you something, they are the ticket. Check out Electronic Shooters Protection at ESPAmerica.com. I use the stealth model, and it is great. All right, back to Philip Crow and Philip. You know, we uh, boy, we're um, we could we could probably talk two or three more hours with uh, with stories. But I, but but there are a couple of things. I mean, you you've had a chance to to uh, to hunt with some pretty well-known guys, you know, and I have, like you, I have as well, and, and you know, we find out they're just regular guys. I mean, have you got a, uh, a story or two, or, you know, from somebody that, that the audience would probably recognize that uh, uh, could give them a little chuckle, maybe? 
back in the old days, I'd say the old days, maybe about 12 years ago or so, I used to hunt with a guy named Virgil Williams down in, in uh, Albany. You know, and Virgil had a 10,000-acre plantation, and it was just uh, beyond imagination. And you ride horseback and wagons and dogs, and, I mean, it's like, I mean, you just, it's an artist's dream. I mean, it's just hard to explain to you what it's like to see those old mules pulling that wagon and getting on those Tennessee walking horses and following those running bird dogs through those woods and patches and watching those bird dogs get hard and go down. <laughs> and I was down with Virgil one day, and John Shearholtz from the Braves, who was running the Braves at the time, and Norman Schwarzkopf were going to come up and bird hunt for three days. And I thought, oh, man, what a, what a treat. And Schwarzkopf had just actually come out with his book. After the after the war, and we're down there hunting, and Schwarzkopf comes in on a helicopter, and of course there's a little helicopter pad out there for him, and I'm sitting out there. I mean, the whole thing is, I it's a little over my head. I'm not quite ready for all this, and I'm watching. <laughs> and Schwarzkopf steps off the plane, and anybody said he wasn't a general, he is the general. Okay, mm-hmm. he, he kind of who runs the show. Nicest man on the planet ever was if you spent any time with him at that time. And his first colonel or whatever this guy's name is steps off the plane and he's got his side-by-side Spanish 28 cage and he drops it on the concrete and breaks the stock. Oh. <laughs> and I'm going, and I'm standing there and I'm going, Oh, this is a bad, bad day for this guy. It's really a bad day. <laughs> and mm-hmm. The general turned around and he said, you need to take that and get in that helicopter and run back to Atlanta, and I need it by the morning. <laughs> and that was mm-hmm. all he said. And he was gone, okay? And he came back the next morning. He had it in time for us to go bird hunting. We had a little breakfast, and off we went. We had a great day at field, I think. It's hard for me to believe that. You know, Schwarzkopf ran a school down in Tampa with with sporting clays, and he he always had an event down there, and I always sent work down there for his auctions to have fun and and to make a little money for his for his efforts. And he, I I, I never will forget this. We're riding along, riding along, and you know the dogs going point da da da. And I look over there at Schwarzkopf, and I nodded. And when I nodded, he's off his horse and on the move. And we got up 22 cubbies of birds. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. And he's and a wild he bird. he killed a single bird out of every cubby. And I'm going to tell you, those were wild birds down there. Those weren't those birds that were put out in a box. Mm-hmm. And I'm t- it, the man could shoot, <laughs> shoot a shotgun. And it was such a treat to ride side-by-side side down those trails with that man and listen to his stories and his life. And nobody had more fun than I that day. It wasn't about killing quail. It wasn't about how many. It was just amazing to see this man who loved the world and loved nature and loved America as much as he did. And he, he just was everything that everybody said about this man. He... he he was just the pride of America. And I, I was so lucky to be able to sit and hunt with him and spend time with Sheerholz 
And it, it, it just was a little part of my life that, that, that's, that feels good. Well, and it's something that, that sticks with you. And, I, you know, I, I'm fortunate I had a chance to, to, to hunt with General Schwarzkopf as well. And, you know, he was very much a gentleman. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got stories I could tell, but, you know, we're not doing that uh, because I, I, I've got a few minutes left. And I really want to get into one thing. You've got a, a love for kids and, uh, you know, and, and youth shooting and hunting and things like that. And, you know, you're involved in the uh, Chick Major Foundation over in Stuttgart. Tell us a little bit about that because, you know, I'm judging the World Duck Calling championship this year you, you've judged it a couple of times and um but that and that's they have a little contest there that's part of that tell us a little bit about that involvement philip well a few years ago i realized because i was doing some work for the for the Stuttgart chamber of commerce and i was helping do posters so they could raise money for uh for the for the foundation there and 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 for stuttgart and they knew where the monies were going, and I just was there to help them do what they were doing. And I said something about about the kids in Stuttgart. What was being done for these kids in Stuttgart? And we found out that because of Chick Majors and all the wonderful things that Chick had done, and I mean, he's an icon in, in Stuttgart. So a couple of us got together and started the Chick Majors Foundation. And so what I did was I, I did artwork. We sold prints, and all the monies, every penny. We paid for the printing. We did everything. And these kids, they didn't have to do anything. And they had a group of people who selected uh, kids that really couldn't afford to go to college. Uh And we raised enough money every year to send two kids to college. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but let me tell you something. Uh, you, you can't buy the happiness, and you can't buy the feelings that, that it feels good in your heart to be able to do something for these poor kids who will never get out of that situation. They're good kids. They do good in school, and they study hard, but they can't afford it. So what we did was we started this foundation and we raised money so these kids could go to college. Now, I know there's a lot of big money in Arkansas that give big scholarship money, and, and that's a wonderful, wonderful deal. Frank Lyon is one of them. But I just that was my small part. It is my small part. It's something I've always been proud of, and we're still sending kids to college today, and... Mm-hmm. And that just—it just makes your heart beat. That's all. That's what it's all about. It's saving well, yeah, kids. And, and one of the one of the things. One of the things. I don't know. A lot of people uh, may not know this. They actually have a. a, a a Chick and Sophie Major Memorial Duck Calling Contest as part of the Wings exactly. Over the Prairie Festival, and uh, you know that's that that particular contest is only open to high school seniors. So that's a uh, that's kind of unique in its own way. Well, I, I, you know, to go back to that, I mean, I think that everybody that walks through this earth needs a hand from somebody, and we all are thankful and are lucky. None of us got today where we are by ourselves. And I think when you can reach your hand out and do something for somebody, because we're all so blessed that it, I'm not 
telling you that I'm a saint. I'm just doing the best I can for something that I love. And I love the outdoors, and I love the people. I love the experience. I grew up with it with my grandfather and my father, and it's just part of me. And I just get kind of sentimental about it because it's an opportunity, and, and God has allowed me the ability to paint these pictures and make this money and give back. And I think, mm-hmm. like I said earlier in the show, I think if you don't give back and you don't do something, then you've missed the boat. I mean, it's an opportunity that we have, like you have every day. You work with these kids for happy shooting. You get them outside. You keep them out of trouble. You give them an opportunity, and it's amazing what they do and where they go. Well, there's no question about that, and I, and I, I for one, am – I'm greatly appreciative of of people like you, Philip, who who do give back because you know we've got about a minute left to go in the show and and uh, my friend, I cannot thank you enough for taking your time out today to share this passion with us. I mean, I, I'm uh, I, I'm I'm in all I'm in all of your work. Obviously, it's it's remarkable. And folks, uh, you know, Philip, tell people, you know, how can they get in touch with you? I mean, you know, you you're not really chasing work, but People need to see your work. We've got about 30 seconds here. Well, you can go on the World Wide Web and just type in philipcrow.com, and you can see all the stuff I do, and then you can get a hold of me. There's a phone number there if it's something you want to do. Uh, I'm not pushing my work, and I'm, I just, like I said earlier on, I mean, really, all I care about now is I'm not chasing that, that so to speak, dollar. Uh, I'm just trying to enjoy my life with my family and my new grandson and he's got it. He got his first camo jacket the other day. And I'm telling you, it takes your breath away. Well, it's, he's ready to go. Wide. Make no mistake about that. And folks, that's Philip Crow and the Crow is C R O W E. So, uh, you know, you, you Google, Google Philip Crow and you will see some remarkable, artwork from a remarkable man. Philip, thank you so much. We've run completely out of time. I, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show and folks can't thank you enough for for listening and uh, uh, and, and listening to Philip's stories. So until next week, be sure you take somebody hunting and shooting. Enjoy hunting and fishing day. Be safe. Shoot well. We'll see you next time. <laughs> for listening to marty fisher's wing and clay nation please join marty again next thursday at 6 p.m eastern 3 p.m pacific on the voice america variety channel until next week's show think safety first and good shooting